Welcome to episode 201 of Destination Linux. Now, right now, you need to get your DLN mugs. You need to take a sip. You need to sit back. You need to relax and prepare your brain to be injected with open source and Linux goodness delivered directly to your frontal lobe through the advent of the internet. My name is Noah. With me today are among the crewmates, Michael, Ryan, and Jill. I have no idea what those intros mean. We're still among, us, that. Among, among us. Among us. Among us. Among played. But to be, but to, let's just clarify something. Not all of us are crewmates. I mean, Ryan is probably an imposter. So. Oh, come on. I think it's suspect. Hey guys, we yeah. want to start off and thank everyone who joined us live to celebrate episode 200. We had an absolute blast. You guys, you have to remember, you, the listener, are why we do this. We show up every Sunday and you can join us live. You can become a patron, participate in the discussion, and then join us for things like the Game Fest. It was an absolute blast to hang out and play uh, with some of you, and we can't wait to do another uh, event in the future. And so if you have ideas or you, or you want to get involved, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Make sure to stay involved in the community so that you can participate in the next event that's coming up. A huge thanks to everyone who helped us get to 200 episodes this is mm -hmm. the best video linux show on the planet and this week we sure. have an interview with a representative from tootnoa an open source end-to-end -end encrypted email software and service and so if you want to learn how to get off of google if maybe that's your goal for 2021 and you're saying to yourself self i want to be done with google i want to be at a place where i can trust my email and communicate securely then this episode 201 is the episode for you. Email has been replaced with our traditional mail in many ways. And while laws govern privacy and traditional mail, there is very little protection when it comes to your email. And so you may have not thought about what, it, you know, things like your bank statements, things like privacy notes, pictures, password resets, all of those things are readable by your mail provider. Find out more coming up later in the episode. In addition, we'll be covering community feedback, gaming tips, tricks, soccer picks, everything you've come to expect in Destination Linux. All of that coming up and more right now on Destination Linux. So let's kick things off with some community feedback. This week in our community feedback, we're actually looking into our discourse forum. So if you're not part of the discourse forum, you should be because we're going to start alternating between some of the emails and discourse forums to really get into what the community is talking about, what's important to the community. And this week it fits perfect with our interview because the conversation was about employee surveillance software. The demand for employee surveillance software is up 51% since the start of the pandemic. Obviously, with the pandemic going on, lots of people are working from home. Companies are trying to figure out, how do I balance this work from home? I'm used to having people in the office. I'm used to being a manager that walks around the floor, knows what people are working on. Now I don't have the ability to do that. How do I know that my team is staying productive? So what do they do? They look for the path of least resistance, and that is putting software on the computers that will surveil what your employees are actually doing on their computer. It will do things like sometimes even have cameras. It will capture a video of what you're doing, what employees are doing on their screens. It can be quite invasive. And not every company provides computers for their employees. So they're asking you, hey, you got to work from home now. We want you to install this software on your computer oh, that you that have is, at uh... home. Though this is happening, there's a global demand for employee monitor monitoring software out there. 87% in April compared with the monthly average prior to the pandemic is how much the demand for monitoring software has increased. Now, as somebody who has managed a team for well over a decade that is full remote, they never come into the office, and we have a very, very critical role in the company. What we do has to get done in the timeframes they get done or it has major financial impacts and issues. I have never 
asked, nor would I put or ask my employees to put surveillance software on their computers to do that. There are so many other tools out there that you can use as well as, well as being an engaged manager and just talking to your team, hang out chat rooms and things, having, of course, meetings on a regular basis and just talking to your employees as, as often as possible. Having that relationship with your employees, to me, is far more sustainable. And I have... I have a team that wins so many awards. Honestly, it got to the point where I had to start throwing them away or giving them away. So if you think you can't have <laughs> I a never high got performance, awesome. if you think you can't have a high performance team working from home and not using this type of stuff, I'm here to tell you that it's absolutely 100% possible. And in fact, you know, a lot of the ways that I've sold it in the company before work from home became a big thing was the productivity of my teams when we had this. So I hate seeing this as a trend. It's what I call lazy leadership, lazy management uh, as a tactic, trying to use software um, to run your business versus you, the manager. And some of the worst managers, by the way, I've ever seen are the ones that sit in their office all day staring at reports and they don't talk to their employees. They think they can manage their team by sitting there staring at metrics. And that's the difference to me between a manager and a leader. A leader gets there on the floor and is working with the team to resolve these things. So I just thought this was really fascinating that this is what the community was talking about in our discourse forums. There's lots of opinions on it, lots of reactions like Noah had of this is ridiculous. I would never put this stuff on my computer. And yet you can see the amount that this software is, you know, the surveillance tools like Hubstaff, Time Doctor, Flexispy are in demand for companies. So me, you may be in the company right. that wants it. It's this. in demand for companies. How many of the managers that advocate for this software have it running on their PC? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, seriously, though, if you you really believe that this is a tool necessary to increase productivity and efficiency and accountability, why wouldn't you want to hold yourself to that standard? I have the same software on my laptop that every one of my employees has. I love that point you brought up. There was a time where a company I was working with was trying to instill, they wanted to hire somebody to sit at the door and log when people actually walked into the office because they Mm -hmm. wanted them there five minutes before the shift starts so they could log in. And I said, that's great. Let's do it. And they're going to log when you show up to the office as well and make sure you're five minutes. And I'm I'm exempt. I don't have to know if it's good for them. It's good for you. So we're going to do it. Thought we're going to set an example here. Thought we wanted to increase. Yeah, exactly. Why do you, why, and you know, really, Ryan, it comes down to a basic premise of why would you expect another human being to, being to do something that you yourself are not willing to do? That's a really good point. And I think that if I worked for a company that did this, I would immediately be putting my resume out there mm-hmm. uh, looking for a different company to work for. And these type of things, what they really do create is people finding workarounds for them. Yes. So now your staff mm-hmm. is going to be focused on how they're going to trick the system mm-hmm. versus just getting their job done because it, you know a lot of people may not be able to find another job right now. So what they're going to do, they're going to figure out how to trick it. It just sets the wrong standard. And I hope any companies, we know a lot of corporations listen to Destination Linux in their offices and things, they tell us, uh, don't do that. And if you are, uninstall that crap and just learn how to be a good leader. I think that it's even more atrocious that schools and institutions like that are making students have to deal with it. And they're having to deal with... You know, uh, you accidentally get a pop up and all of a sudden it says, oh, you're trying to cheat, fail like stuff no, like it, that. It's, it's, it's really it's worse than that. There are some states that have had multimillion dollar lawsuits because they were activating the cameras remotely um, mm. on kids PCs and doing some really nasty stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's it is a real concern. But at the end of the day, there's no one universal fix. It It's going to involve you, yeah. the listener, becoming 
directly involved with all of the technology that you use. And you're going to have to understand what the privacy implications are of both your work device, your personal device, a school device, what those software does. You're going to have to learn that. We're here to come alongside you and walk and help you do that. And as an employee, be vocal about this. You may yes. be one of the only employees that actually understand this. Understand. And if you are vocal in a respectful way and you have any semi-decency of a leadership team, it will go places, even if it's just planting a seed of saying, hey, you know, I have a question about this. I'm really concerned about the privacy implications and leave it at that. If you don't feel like you can say any more and come back to it later, I call that planting seeds that, you know, you get it in people's heads to start thinking about the implications and what this is going to cause, because we may not, a lot of companies may stay with this work from home situation going forward because now they've realized the savings of cost and real estate and other things that come along with this work from home. And if they do, and you're one of the ones that has the surveillance software, all that work we've done having Linux and getting rid of proprietary software and everything goes out the door because you got an employer spying on you. Yeah, I, I, I just add two things to that. I, I would say the planting seed thing, I totally agree with. I also try to be a person, though, when I come into an organization, not to be the person that just complains about something that has an answer to the problem. So if you in every organization is going to be different, every scenario is going to be different. But if you can come to your if you can come to your boss and say, hey, instead of having things that track us uh, coming into the door five minutes before, five minutes after, could we maybe run six months and just see how that works? And if it's even really a problem we have to solve coming to the table, even if it's not a viable suggestion, if it's if it's something that shows that you're a person that wants to be part of the solution and not a person that just wants to complain about the problem. I don't think it does anything practically to change the the, the, the landscape, but I think what it does is it it disarms people and it and it makes them less likely to defend the brand and more likely to engage and understand your problem. And then you can come at it in, in a cohesive standpoint and say, okay, now my now my boss, now my leadership, now my team is on board. Now we can move forward and figure out what the actual best way to solve this problem is. Yeah, yeah. really, really and, good point. Well, just, mm-hmm. just before we, we, we move on, I just want to make it clear that uh, uh, Nate from the Deal and Extend podcast is in the chat right now and he also wants uh, Ryan to know that he's going to be starting on that thing at 8 a.m. sharp. So make sure that you uh, you can log his time just to make it clear for You got it, all. Nate. Uh, I got you down. Uh, I would definitely hire Nate. you in a heartbeat, Nate. So, yeah, like Ryan was saying, you know, you just need really good leadership. You know, I've uh, managed a team and been a leader of a team before. And it's just it's it's communication. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. It's just, it's the communication with the employees and, and your peers, and you will know if they're doing their job or not, you know, by their product, by their final product and how, how much they've put into it by their, you know, the project, if they turned it in on time. And <laughs> Absolutely. There, there is no special secret to it. I get asked all the time, how did you manage a team? Especially when the pandemic, a lot of people were coming to me saying, how did mm-hmm. you do? And the communication stuff I talk about sounds simple, but I have a hangout room with my team where we just talk all day. It could be random things. It could be Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. It could be work, but that's our water cooler, right? We just hang out in that room and we talk all throughout the day. But what also comes up there is, oh, my employee's stuck on this problem. This person can't fix this issue. All this stuff is coming up. So it's like I'm there with them the entire time. And then when things go wrong, I don't go home and log off and say, well, I want to spend time with my family. I sit there with my team and I work with them all night if that's what it takes through this problem. Even if my role there is just to encourage them. That's what being a good leader is about. You don't need software to do that. But the software does enable you to do something like step away from that situation, go tuck your kids into bed, go kiss your wife, talk to her for five, 10 minutes, and then go back to the problem. And that fundamentally does not exist in the world that we lived in one year ago where employers said, well, you can't work from home. Are you kidding? That's crazy. People can't work from home. We don't have the technological resources for that. We don't have the budget for that, planning for that, management for that, nothing. We can't. Wait, 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 hold on. Coronavirus? 
We need you all to augment immediately starting tomorrow. Everybody's got to work from home, laptops, whatever we need. We got to do it. This is what has to happen. It's not like one year from now they can come back and say, you know, back to showing up at work. Yeah, exactly. And and the, the opposite is true. People, if you hired the right people, they actually work harder because mm-hmm. they're not spending two hours commuting into uh, each way. They, they actually work harder. They're not sitting there watching Netflix and YouTube. And if you're worried right. about that, you hired the wrong people. That's right. And they're, and you know what? They're eating their own food and they're they're And so they're, they're I'm not, but seriously though, that sure. plays into it, right? Instead of, Hey, I have to run to McDonald's. Now my stomach hurts because I ate and it's no, they grocery shopped and they're cooking food at home and they're making their food at home. And so everything is relaxed and there's, there's more there's more time there and they're eating healthier and they're budgeting better. Like all of the things that make us a more efficient working environment work when everybody can kind of customize their work environment to their own specifications. And we just, as a society have to get over that and have to get over with this incessant need to control and monitor and, 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 and spy on everybody to make sure that they're doing what we tell them to do. Right. We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. Now you've had a couple minutes into the show. So if you, yeah, that's, I know I see you sitting there out of the free one. You got at a Linux conference. It's not DLN. Fill it up with some coffee, sit down, in the nearest stool, and then I want you to send an email. The email goes to comments at destinationlinux.org. The body of the email should be a suggestion, a comment, a pick, something Compliments. we didn't know about, a compliment, especially if it's to myself or Ryan. Right. We right. want we want you to get involved, though. We want you to be a part of the we want you to be a part of 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 the show planning and a part of what goes goes into making uh, this show a reality. So send those comments to comments destinationlinux.org. Become a part of the DLN community. Join up on the forums at destinationlinux.network. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean yeah. recently announced hey. their new app platform service. This is, if you look at what has happened in the VPS space in the server world, we essentially went from, hey, I need to set up a server. Okay, no problem. Just order one from Dell. Two and a half weeks, it'll get here. Then we get the the, uh, the optical disks, all 19 of them. We plug in a, a USB drive, and then about four hours later, we have an operating system loaded, and then we can go on from there. We can load our applications and compile and all of that. DigitalOcean came out and said, there's a better way to do this, guys. We can do this with VMs, all SSDs across the board. And that we thought that was cool. Now their new app platform, that means that you can build, deploy, and scale apps right from your GitHub page. You simply just point it to the GitHub page that I want that app to spin up, and it shows up on DigitalOcean's app platform. It is the next... It, this is the next generation of the way to spin up infrastructure. And as a listener of Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. They're going to give you $100. How many podcasts do you know that give $100 out for listening to the show? But you get that if you go to do.co slash DLN. Use that special link. And what that does is it tells DigitalOcean that, hey, first of all, I want that $100 credit because I want to spin me up some app platforms. And second of all, thank you, DigitalOcean, for supporting the Destination Linux crew and for bringing me this episode every week. And so a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this program, for sponsoring the entire Destination Linux network. Make sure to go over to do.co slash DLN, get that $100 credit for free and spin up some monster Linux servers. It's our pleasure to welcome Hannah Bozakoff to Destination Linux. Hannah Bozakoff is a press officer of Tutanoa, a secure email service-based company out of Germany. Hannah, welcome into the program. Hello, nice to talk to you. <laughs> nice to talk to you too. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us. So let's start yeah. off uh, learning a little bit about you. Now, you've been at Tutanota since uh, almost near the beginning of the company when it was founded. What drew you towards Tutanoa? What did you hope to accomplish? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Actually, um, when I joined Tutanota in 2014, 
I didn't really know much about online privacy. I wasn't into that kind of field at all because, you know, being a typical communications person and in marketing, especially, you don't really like privacy. You want to do advertisement. Right. So privacy is kind of the opposite. So you could say that the developers of Tutanota, they had to educate me to teach me first what it means and why it's important. But um, yeah, by now I can say I've become a passionate fighter for privacy as well. And yeah, given the German history with the Stasi and Gestapo, it's not, it wasn't such a difficult development, <laughs> I should say. Um, yeah, so now that surveillance has become so much easier on the internet, for me, um, the job also makes a difference because with the job, I can make a difference. I can educate people about privacy and that, um, that feels really nice because you feel that you're doing something that is actually important. And not just, you know, selling stuff. Yeah. I, I, I really, what has changed when you, from, when you think about that, you went into it from a marketing standpoint and you, you know, obviously that was the opposite, the privacy, and now you're in it. How do you talk to other marketers maybe in that field now? How do you feel about that field differently than you did coming in now that you kind of know the implications of the privacy? Talking to other marketers has become a bit strange because they have their typical marketing strategies and their typical, um, you know, advertisement strategies and they use Google AdWords and all these kind of things. And um, they say, oh, it's so easy. You just do this and click this and then track users here and there. And you say, yeah, but we have to do things completely different. We are more working on the reputation kind of part. We, we You know, we say to people what we mean and we are being honest and we build a community that trusts us. And this is much more long term. It is much more difficult because you don't have the results, you know, just like this, put on an advertisement, get money back. That's not how it works with us. Right. But in the long run, it it pays off because, uh, yeah, we earn the trust. Yeah. Ethical. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah and exactly. Tutanota started with like 2011 and back then privacy wasn't a very popular topic, obviously. And then 2013, the Snowden revelations happened and the topics of privacy mm -hmm. and security became very mainstream, really. Uh, do you think that the general population are finally taking privacy more seriously or is it kind of like fallen back based on like, you know, since it's been so long since the, the Snowden things came out that do you think that it's it's kind of fallen back a little bit? And is there still more work to be done on raising awareness or that kind of thing? Uh, for this important topic? There's always work to be done, but Snowden's revelations, they they were definitely a turning point. As you said, it was privacy was becoming the mainstream. However, we also see that um, there's still a huge gap between understanding the issue of privacy and really acting upon it. So people still use Google, people still use Facebook, even though they know that they are being tracked and that the corporations profit by abusing their data. Um, so today, I would say the awareness is not the issue, but building great alternatives that respect users' privacies, that is still a challenge because Tutanota is just one example. You can have secure email, okay, so you're good here, but then you still have, um, I don't know, YouTube and search and all these other things. And because you can't replace everything just like that, some people say, I don't even make a start because you kind of you still have to use youtube there's no real right yeah video platform so now the issue is you have to you have to explain people you know it does make a difference because if google can just track what you watch or see read your emails it's a huge difference so just to get them started just 
to go from understanding to acting. That's where we're at right now. So you mentioned Google, and I think that's really interesting because uh, most people I know, even when I talk to them about privacy, they're Gmail, right? They have a Gmail or they've used yeah. Gmail in the past. And a lot of it was, it was, it's just so simple to set up. It's, you know, it's quick to set up. You get in there, there's, it's a path of least resistance for them. Uh, the friends use it. When you talk about encryption and things, people who are not in this field as a profession, their eyes tend to get glossy like, yeah, but how do I send an encrypted email? I bet it's more <laughs> difficult to sign up for one of these services. I, I just in case some of those, because we have new people coming into Linux or exploring Linux like four years ago, I was that are listening to this podcast right now. Tell tell the audience what how easy it is to set up an account like Tutanota and then how easy it is to send an encrypted email. Like, do I have to learn the terminal? Do I have to know a bunch of special commands? <laughs> Can we go through that? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a very good question because it shows me I have to get better at marketing <laughs> because it actually is easier to get a Tutanote address than a Gmail one because we don't ask for phone numbers. So you really just put in your address and your uh, password and that's kind of it. Um, we would never ask for, pass for, for phone numbers because we are committed to protecting not just users' privacy, but also their anonymity. So asking for phone numbers is an absolute no-go for us. And once in, you can use Tutanota as easily as any email service. You don't even have to use the encrypted email feature. You can, but there's no must. So um, I would say just try it out because it literally it takes 30 seconds to get an account and then you send an email. We also made videos about this because, yeah, to just show people, you know, it's not complicated. It's not like PGP. That's why we are building Tutanota to make it easy so that everyone can use it. And it must cost $100, right, to get started? $200, $300, $5,000 to have this kind of security? <laughs> yeah, definitely it should. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, actually, you can you can use Tutanota for free as well. We are more limited on a gigabyte, obviously. We have only one gigabyte, not 15. And one gigabyte is plenty. You can go three, you can have three years oh, of yeah. email and you won't fill it. So um, we want everyone to be able to try it out and to use encrypted email because it's so important to um, yeah, protect your sensitive stuff. For instance, my sister once, she was on holiday and lost her credit card. And she said, oh, Hannah, can you send me your credit card? And I said, yeah, sure, I can send it because I know it's encrypted and no one else can then use this card, you know? That's, wow, that's important. That's awesome. mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've had my Tutanote account for I think well over a year and I've never come close to the gigabyte. So it, it's definitely a lot of space, yeah. even if it doesn't sound like a lot. Email just doesn't take up a lot. Yeah. I've had mine for a couple of years as well. And I want to thank you also for having an app image <laughs> under Linux. Yes. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> it's just really awesome and portable and easy. And, um, yeah, I and, had, and it's, on, it's on FlatHub now as well. Yeah. Oh, very, nice, very nice. cool. Speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> and and I had, had used it on Android with FDroid as well. And it's a very small download. And, and like Hannah was saying, it's so easy to set up. So Hannah, can you tell us about the technology behind Tutanoto, such as the server locations and the encrypt, encryption technologies used? Yeah, we own all our servers for security reasons. They, the servers are based in Germany. And for the encryption, we use RSA and AES. I don't know if I pronounce this correctly in English. Um, it's kind of the same algorithms as in PGP, but the way we did it in uh, Tutanota is 
a bit different. So we can also encrypt the subject line and we can also encrypt other data. Like we have a calendar as well and the contacts, that's everything encrypted. This is great because the user, they only have to know their password, just like in Gmail, and still they get so much more security. Um, and for us, this is how the internet should look like, you know, give the power back to the people, give the data back to the people, not to the companies. Um, yeah, oh, and I should also mention that we are working on post-quantum secure encryption. We have settled on the Signal protocol. It's already, we have a working prototype and we want to um, publish it next year. Because once quantum computers are there, all the encryption we are doing today is kind of useless. Because we all know since Snowden that the NSA is copying the entire internet traffic in the hopes of being able to decrypt it at some point. And once the quantum computer is there, they will be able to decrypt it. So that's why we are building post-quantum secure encryption that's now. fascinating to me. We yeah. actually covered this on two episodes ago yeah. about talking about the implications of the quantum computer and the fact that mm -hmm. encryption is essentially going to be pretty worthless for a quantum computer to go in and break. Uh, so you guys are already planning for that and you're already implementing yeah. mitigations. That's amazing. That's so very forward very thinking. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I love to hear that. <laughs> so it's the, are you using the signal double ratchet protocol? Is that, uh, and, and is that for email or is that for you're trying to go into the IM space? It's for email. For email. Okay. No, no, we, we use it for email then. But it's very similar because it's internal. It's from Tutanota to Tutanota. You know, you won't be able to use this with external, um, like PGP with other email services. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of similar to, very similar to Signal. Um, but it is an email, still email then. Okay. I, I'm not a technical person. I'm sorry for the No, details. no, no worries at all. No, that it's, it's, it's I, was, Actually, I was asking the developers, can please one of you do the interview? I know there's going to be technical questions. And they said, no, no, Anna, you're good to go. Yeah, you are, you are good to go. Place I mean, their faith well. Where, where it's exciting, Anna, just to kind of bring it back home a little bit, where it's exciting to me is because Signal and, and, and now Matrix and I think Facebook, WhatsApp is using it. They, they have come out with a algorithm that is so much more secure, so much more robust, so much easier to implement. And it's just awesome to see all of these open source projects coming up and saying, we have this thing established. We'll just plug it in and look at the service that we can do. And to note is doing that. And I just think that's very exciting. Have there been any independent third-party audits of the technology? So for example, how do we really know um, mm -hmm. that Tutanota is safe and secure? Yeah, the, um, the code has been audited before its first release. And also the entire client code is published as open source. So anyone can check the code. And we do actually plan to have another audit done. But first, we want to build all this post-quantum secure encryption because it wouldn't make sense to do an audit now and then add another layer of encryption. So we plan to have the next audit after this um, project is finished. So you have and people who can go in there and audit the code, obviously, because it's open source now. And then yep. you're hiring third-party firms yep. in the future to come in and do some additional auditing to make sure everything's buttoned up tight. Exactly, yeah. Yep. And will those reports be out there for the public to see once they come out from the auditors? Yes, we are, all, we are always very transparent. We also, we had one or two security, yeah, two, I think, security bugs in the past. And we also, we even, we sent out an email to all users informing them about the bug that was there and how long it took to fix it. Because being transparent is one major part of a security service. You can't have security without being transparent. That just doesn't work. Because obviously there's still some a little bit of trust, even though it's open source, a little bit of trust is always there. Mm -hmm. So you have to be honest and you have to be transparent. 
It's yeah. really important. A lot of companies, their goal is to hide it, fix it. And then if they have to, if they're forced to, <laughs> then come out three months later and say, hey, this happened. So sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, but uh, it always comes out anyway. So. It does. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. think it's better yeah. just to be upfront with the community and they're going to like you a lot more for it yeah, at absolutely. the end of the day. And uh, Tuna also over offers uh, other services in addition to emails. Can you tell us about uh, us and our audience about those kinds of things? And also, are there any other services that you're looking for in the future that potentially offer? Yeah, as I said, Tutanota already has encrypted email contacts and calendars. Um, right now, we are completing email and calendar feature. And in the near future, we want to add an encrypted drive. The plan is to have a whole collaboration suit, everything encrypted by default. But um, we know we have a long way to go. But in the last half year alone, we have grown from nine people to 14. So this is amazing because all developers are paid for uh, by Tutanuta users choosing the paid plan. We don't want money from foreign investors. Um, we don't want to have others being able to influence our development decisions. So the only one who should be able to influence us must be our users. That's why we are also only taking their money. And it's kind of nice to see that even though our business model is so different to most businesses mm -hmm. on the internet, it still works. Yeah. And that's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, it that's very promising and makes me feel a lot more comfortable in the sense of using the service because it's it's the the customer is actually the the funding of it rather than the per, the customer <laughs> is the product like the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and then there's so many companies where I tell people, you know, a lot of companies are now kind of using privacy and security. They're making the blanket statements places and people just see that and go, oh, it must be trustworthy. Or they'll use open source even as a way of saying, look, we're open source, so therefore we're safe. But I always tell people, follow the money trail. How is the company making money? Because they have to be making money somehow or have a plan to make money because mm. if they don't, then you're probably the product. And then, you know, look at their size and growth and what they're doing. And I think it's great that the user community here are the ones that are funding it, which is going to create a lot less of a conflict for companies influencing and wanting you to grow faster, investors wanting you to do things quicker and instill ads and those type of things that uh, companies do. There's a, there are other companies, speaking of which, that do encrypted email services. We won't name them, but they, they're <laughs> out there and they're privacy focused. They say they have the encryption, very similar technologies. What do you think sets your product apart from any of the other services out there? I would say not using PGP. To be fair, yeah. PGP is great. And we also plan to support it without a crypt. But um, for developing an encrypted collaboration suit, PGP is just not a good fit. Like our implementation of RES and RSA, it already allows us to encrypt the subject line. We encrypt the entire context, not just parts of it. And we were able to build the encrypted calendar in less than three months because just because the encryption is different. And once we start, we will build um, the encrypted drive in just as quickly, you know. And that sets Tutanota apart. It lets us compete with companies that have much larger development teams. Having a small team, it also lets us focus on things that are important to us. So we do not use any Google services. We do not even use Google Push or Google Recapture. We have published, as you said, our app on F-Droid. We have built our own desktop clients also for Linux. Yeah, this makes us different because we can focus on the things that we find are important and we I, use Linux ourselves. So 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> I was going to ask about obvious them. where the focus Yay. is. <laughs> I, love, I love hearing that. I love that you all use Linux there. And I have to say, I remember when you all released your calendar, this was a popular service being asked for from some of the other players out there. And Tutanota came out with it very quickly and had it implemented. And I was like, dang, shots fired from the team. <laughs> so good, good job on that. You all nailed that one. Thanks. And Hannah, speaking of encryption, um, encryption, as we all know, is under attack by a lot of governments and, and uh, policies. What can the average person do to help fight for our privacy rights and freedoms? Uh, I would say start getting active, make your voice heard. You can support digital rights organizations like um, yeah. the Electronic Frontier Foundation yeah. in the US <laughs> or NetPolitik in Germany. Because yeah. to be honest, if, if we, the, I, I should say, I want to say young people, but maybe not so young anymore. Anyway, mm -hmm. if we would yeah. donate as much money to these internet rights organizations as our parents donate what, to wildlife animals, we would have so much more power and we would yes. be, you know, in the political decision making. And I mean, politicians at some points, they must understand Phil Zimmerman's quote. Mm -hmm. If privacy is outlawed, only criminals will have privacy because they will always find a way to yeah. encrypt things, even if it's yeah. illegal. You know, it's Absolutely. they will build their own their own apps. It doesn't matter to them. So why outlaw it for everyone? It's just that's such a powerful statement, I think. And, you know, supporting these companies is very important. So while you can go and sign up for free services from Tutanota and, or, or others that are focused on the privacy, really, we should be putting our money where our mouth is. When we look at these services and we find them and we enjoy them, you know, the free is kind of like, in my mind, even though it's not a trial, that's how it should be viewed. And then once you realize, hey, this is a company that's doing something I like, they're, they're helping to promote the causes that are important to me signing up for them is that next step, right? To say, because the whole reason we got into a lot of this free mess is because everybody yeah. was like, oh my gosh, these companies are just so nice. They just give us everything for free. And then we say, well, oh my gosh, what they're doing is horrible. Well, you have to take action on that, right? You, exactly. The reason why it was so horrible is because they were using you as the product. You were the product and that they were selling there. So if you don't want to be the product, gonna have to pay for that and i like that tutanota is also looking into other services because i think that makes when you have one monthly price that you pay and you get some digital storage you get your calendar you get your email and those things it makes it much easier pill to swallow right for any monthly fees or anything when you've kind of got this whole suite of things where you can go to one service there and, and just get it but if people don't know going back to that question jill just asked this whole idea of encryption is literally under attack. I mean, every week mm -hmm. there is something going on where governments are trying right now to make it illegal for companies to utilize things like encryption, uh, make back doors so that they have access. And the idea goes, well, if the government just has access, that seems safe enough because I want them to stop terrorism. I want to stop this things. But if it's a don't forget about the, the children, Ryan. Yeah, it's in the children. About the children. Yeah, that is who is going children. to suffer if we don't get rid of yeah. encryption. The children. And, so, yeah. and so all of this, like they'll 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 put these laws under names like Child Protection Act and things. And inside of that, to Noah's point, is this law basically to break all of these things. And, and if you think criminals, children, by the way, won't find a way around it, you, you know, I got some land to sell you. But it's just, it's so important that people really get involved and think about these things. And we get rid of the old ideas of, well, I don't do anything illegal, so it won't bother me because the implications are so much bigger than that. 
everybody has something to hide. Absolutely. Hannah, thanks so mm-hmm. much for taking the time to join us on Destination Linux. Of course, you know you always have a welcome invitation to join us again. People want to get started with a free account. It's available for personal and business account. We also want to thank Hannah and the entire team at Tutanoa for continuing to fight the good fight on publicies and, uh, and, and privacy. Hannah, before we let you go, is there anything else you want to let people know? No, actually, it, it was a pleasure. It was one of my nicest interviews, I have to say. <laughs> so nice. thank you for having me. Awesome. <laughs> I love hearing that. And we, we hope you come back. Anytime you all launch something new, you have a new service, uh, we want to help promote this stuff and get the word out as well because it's so important. So feel free just to shoot us an email and say, hey, we got this new thing we want to talk about. We'd love to have you back in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Hannah Bozikoff, she is the press officer for, of Tutanoa, a secure email service based in Germany. Check them out online. Hannah, thanks for, so much for joining us. We'll get you back real soon. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by Bitwarden. It's time for you to get a good password manager, and the password manager that we use and trust is Bitwarden. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication options such as a master password and passphrases and even fingerprint security, all this kinds of stuff to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because it is 100% open source software. It allows you to even self-host it if you want to, and they do security audits because open source is fantastic, and it also shows that you have a lot of confidence in your code to make it open source, but they have so much confidence that they actually hire third-party companies to audit their, their software. Bitwarden also cares about open source and security so much that they have started the Open Source Security Summit, and that is happening on December 10th, so it's a global virtual event that anyone can join, and it's free to join. And they're they're doing this event to help solve security challenges, and maybe you could help them solve this as well. So be sure to go to opensourcesecuritysummit.com to get started there. And also, if you want to make sure you get a great password manager, go to bitwarden.com slash DLN, and you can get a free account. But you also can get a premium account for only $10 per year. And yes, $10 per year, and you get one gigabyte free in, uh, file storage. You get two, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo. Yay. Vault Health Reports, TOTP, Authenticator mm-hmm. Storage, and Generation, so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Okay, we have some really big, big news. Bloomberg is reporting that SUSE may soon have a public offering worth over $6 billion. Yay! Billion Yay to the Geeko. B. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Billion with a B. And this would be good news for EQT, or, or we, we sometimes call them equity, who purchase SUSE for $2.5 billion. That's a nice return on investment, right? <laughs> That's a really, really yeah. good return on investment. And in SUSE's uh, Q3 revenue uh, reported in September of 2020, that, that was increased. 14% year over year. Pretty impressive. And this coupled with impressive customer growth and sales means that SUSE is doing a fantastic job right now. Uh, the IPO is just in the talks right now. But based on the success they are having, it seems like a, a likely move to take place. And Yeah, I, I thought this was really fascinating good. because we talked about OpenSUSE specifically. I know this is SUSE, the parent company. Obviously, yeah. we're talking about the IPO, but that it does so many great and innovative things. But within the community, in the bubble that I'm in, let me just talk from that standpoint. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from Nate, who has an unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, it doesn't really almost get unhealthy. almost unhealthy. Yeah, it doesn't get a lot of publicity. It doesn't get a lot of press that you hear about. But clearly, in the European markets, this company is is extremely successful. Uh, and when you look at the numbers and the revenue growth that they're reporting here, and the fact that they're considering going as an IPO, that they're that they definitely have a market where a lot of businesses and companies are using them and, and they're seeing success. So it's just fascinating. Does this mean if they're able to raise this money? I mean, their next step has to be, how do we get into the American market? Or maybe it's just my bubble in a big way to make the same impact we're having over there in Europe, over here in the US. Any thoughts on why that is? Why is SUSE so popular in Europe, not popular, as popular, let me say here? SUSE's popularity in Europe is interesting, and it makes sense because they're they're headquartered in Europe. But I think that they're just not pushing as much in the marketing aspects to get that market share. And I think that SUSE has a lot of potential. But I I think the 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 thing that has always confused me is that uh, SUSE doesn't promote what they do as much. Like if you can go and look at their blog posts, they talk about like updates have happened for certain things, but they're not really talking about what they're doing. While at the same time, they're making incredibly interesting and powerful tools like for example the open qa system is amazing and they don't get a lot of attention for that but that but even fedora and red hat t- use the open qa system and open qa is super interesting because what it does is an automation uh, quality assurance type thing but it's a a platform that has really cool infrastructure in the sense that it's not just a QA system of quality insurance, but it's also got these really cool features of being able to take the, some, you know, creating these testing sequences and then run these tests, create an automatic uh, compensation of like checking it and we'll create a video showing you it working, going through the process of building out the whole system, running the system, booting it, doing these different tests and it's doing all these things automatically. And you can actually see the test and get the results for it, but also see a video of it happening. And these are just, that's just one thing that SUSE has that they've built this ridiculously cool infrastructure. But I think the problem is, is that they're not, you know, they're not talking about all the awesome stuff that they've done. Yeah. They've actually been doing a, a pretty good uh, job marketing uh, worldwide and in the U.S. actually in recent years with lots of mini one-day conferences. And um, the SUSE, they're called, it's called the SUSE Expert Days. And I've been going to them here in Los Angeles to, since 2017. And as you were saying, Michael, they actually demonstrated live kernel compiling over like hundreds of systems. And this is way back in 2017. And they were the first to do that. That was a really big deal. So they demonstrated this in front of the professionals and businesses that in, they invited to the conference. And I think that's, that is one of the big reasons um, for their growth. Yeah. And um, also, recently, they've had a partnership with Microsoft, Microsoft's Azure Cloud, you know, is also signals actually, you know, where they're thinking um, is the vertical climb in the market is with cloud adoption and the fact that they've partnered with Microsoft, you know, kind of demonstrates that. And, you know, it's actually one of the reasons why their Linux OS market share is going up like gangbusters. Like we talked about last week, they were on that list of their market share, you know, yeah. Going up quickly to 300% soon. I think it's really interesting because <laughs> SUSE doesn't get, we don't talk about SUSE that much on the show, but I don't think there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a weird thing about SUSE doesn't get talked about that much period, but they're a big, 
pretty big company anyway. You know, they're they're the Clearly. second they're the second largest company yeah. in the in the Linux space. And it's kind of it's interesting because they don't they don't get that attention, even though they totally deserve it. And there's so many cool things that they make. Like open suits of tumbleweed is just amazing. Yeah. Like I've talked about it in previous episodes about like the way that I've used, I, when I tested OpenSUSE, like for those like who haven't tried it out, I think you should because I actually had an experience that was just crazy because I, oh, I, I, I do these tests every once in a while where they just kind of like create a system. I use it for a couple months and then set it aside as a drive and try out other things and then go back to that drive and see what happens when I do the updates. And for the mm-hmm. most part, every time I've tried a distro, Unless it's an LTS, the, the the long period of time of not getting an update and then just trying to like slam in thousands of updates uh, typically makes those distros not work again. Uh, but OpenSUSE Tumbleweed mm-hmm. handles it totally fine. So I did I expected yet again to, <laughs> for this to happen, and it was like a seven month period, eight month period, something like that, and it was like. 1900 packages to update from that period of time and it's also a rolling release and then i no, the- michael it's not possible <laughs> yeah i once i've been in linux for 140 years and i know for a fact and nothing in the world will change no matter what that a rolling distro cannot be stable you're wrong well, <laughs> well in the case of the of t- open a tumbleweed that it's it is it actually is it is possible now in other ones i'm not going to make I any don't claims, believe but it. in open it is possible, and it was crazy because I did like ni- it was like nineteen hundred updates, and it asked me a few things to like, do you are you sure you want to do certain like this and this and that kind of thing? But and and after I get to the process of doing those things, it just kind of did this doing all these different packages because it was thousands, and that means my entire my entire system has been changed. <laughs> the kernel, the graphics drivers, just everything was being set was being replaced, and it did it fine. I just rebooted it, and was like, oh, well, everything's fine. Oh. Well, that's well, I awesome. guess Destination Linux is just now turned into a world of lies because I have a developer friend who develops for a very big distro, and he said LTS is the only way you can have a stable Linux distro. So this is world of lies you're telling, Michael. It's not yeah. possible. Well, okay, and this I'm not going to say that you can't use an LTS. I'm just saying that OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is pretty is pretty impressive. Not possible. You know? nope. It is actually. Nope. And Michael, you touched on a really important point: is that of the community. How OpenSUSE works with with SUSE upstream uh, of including, you know, bringing innovation from one platform, the fan base platform, and to the development pa- platform in SLES. Um, they have a beautiful synergy together. And I actually here in Los Angeles know the, um, know the OpenSUSE uh, uh, crew here from the Southern California Linux Expo. And I've seen the passion that they bring, and then that innovation gets brought upstream to SUSE, including a, a friend of mine was one of the developers for SaltStack. And so he brought SaltStack from OpenSUSE, where they were doing all the testing, to SUSE proper. Nice. And they, they are actually, like, for the past couple of years, they started doing this. You're, you're right about the whole, like, they're, they're so similar, and, and like they, they're actually upstream and a downstream to each other. And that yes, is a very exactly. impressive thing to do. And yeah, also with the OpenSUSE jump thing they're doing now, where they're even they're they're tying it even more together. So I think this mm-hmm. is going to be like if if they do the IPO, going back to that, I think if they do the IPO, it'll be very interesting to see because that seems like it would be a very big bonus for uh, SUSE to do. Uh, but they uh, again they said that it's a it's a rumor right now, so there was no response yeah. from <laughs> SUSE. Like they basically said we don't we don't comment on rumors, and fair enough. So we uh, do. We definitely hey. do. 
I want to I want to just go back to one thing though because I this is something you know Jill you said they're doing mini conferences. Um you know I I see some of the developers and things active on Twitter and things but I I still go back to the fact that these projects under SUSE don't get talked about nearly anywhere so near true. the amount that Canonical yeah. project or a Red Hat project does. Why? What if they're doing these things yeah. it sounds like the right way, right? They're doing mini conferences, they're bringing people together. I have to think maybe a conference is only bringing in the people that already know about it. Mm-hmm. What are they missing here? That's that's a good good question. Um, more interaction with the community, like Canonical has done. They need someone like Popey. <laughs> yeah, people in and out of the community, <laughs> just hanging out in different chat rooms and forums yeah. and things, talking about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that, that's one of the things I think that what I was talking about, like they don't talk about certain things that they're doing. I think that is that it's a community thing, but also just. You know, we we don't talk about it because they're not. It's not. It's like the out of sight, out of mind thing. You know, when you, the more they let us know about what they're doing, the more we would be able to talk about it and let people know as well. But I think that's that's a good point because uh, there's so many cool things that OpenSUSE and SUSE have that are not given uh, a lot of attention because it's just they're not talked about that much, even though. They're awesome, like the open QA thing I talked about, but also the open build service is amazing and can build mm, basically anything. And it's yeah. just, it's, but, you know, I think that's the the key is that Op- SUSE and OpenSUSE need to, you know, let people know what they're doing and just put it out there. And I think that well, the open build service, job. I need them to change their name because yeah. every time someone's like, mm-hmm. I can't get OBS to work on my machine. <laughs> yes. I'm like, are you serious? Yes. Build service? Open broadcasting service? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to build software or do you want to create scenes? Yeah. Right. Well, Suse's OBS came yeah. before multimedia OBS. Yeah. Right. That's true, but I mean, that's a fair That's a fair point. The OBS thing, it that's why, that's why I said open build service just to make it clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, one way that they may be able to pick up some more market is to focus on gaming. We talked about this gaming industry being bigger than movies. It's bigger than movies and music combined in the amount of money it's making. If you don't believe me, well, just look at the latest PlayStation 5 and Xbox being sold out the literal hour that they released of every single console that they have. So this just tells you gaming is huge right now. It's a massive market. Every mm-hmm. company's getting into it. So being having a strong gaming presence or when your developers and your other the, the folks are with their regular work and they want to get their game on, well, one such game you may want to check out is called Space Commander: War and Trade. We had a glorious time, by the way, playing games. Noah mentioned it at the Yay, beginning with our community. So much fun. Uh, hundreds mm-hmm. of you showed up to watch us do terrible in games. So thank you for <laughs> suffering through that. First of all, uh, we had Zenotic, we had Super Tux Cart Among Us which became like one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. I, I just, the yes. fact of seeing Wendy from hardware addicts lie. And then Jill, Jill, <laughs> seeing Jill actually be a traitor, you know, the so sweet sad. Jill. <laughs> yeah. and, and to be fair, that we're talking like, about in the game specifically. Yes. That's, yeah. part, that's yes. part of the, the game. game. <laughs> and, and Michael, what was it that you said? You're like, I should have known it was Jill because... It was because it's because she wasn't saying anything. Because so in order to to not, it's like she tried to not lie. So when uh, when she, in order to not lie, she just doesn't say anything. There's no way that Jill's this quiet. She, it has to be Jill. It has to be Jill. Although yeah, Jill the, won't lie. Jill's although she did it, for she did it so stealthily. I didn't even notice that yeah. until after. It was like, of course it's Jill. She was so quiet. It had to be. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, good job, everybody, on that. That was so much fun. Shell Shock was embarrassing for me. Um, but there's another <laughs> game. There's another game out there that's that you need to check out. If you're in the space, yes, the final frontier, because all three of us, I say three because Noah is still catching up on Star Trek. We, we still haven't. <laughs> listen, I, I hate We're to put it out publicly, but Noah doesn't have an official geek card yet. All the rest of us do, and it's been held back. It's been an administration hold because he's not finished podcast. all the Star Trek. We'll it's get it. Podcast. Yeah. I want to do a ten. I want to do a ten series run, introducing everybody to Star Trek. I'm not I going. I have a purpose on this earth, and it is to introduce people to Star Trek and earn my nerd card. I'm yeah, gonna I, I, love I love it. it. We're, we're going to do that. <laughs> and at the end, we're going to actually send you a physical geek card from the administration of geeks. So mm-hmm. uh, that will be worth it. But until that time, you can go check out a game called Space Commander War and Trade. You fight, explore the stars, trade, lead your fleet across the galaxy. It's a single player <laughs> space sim featuring great graphics. So Zeb would be happy. Who showed up, by mm-hmm. the way, at Game Fest made so many people happy to be yeah, wondering about Zeb. So he he was Zeb. there. Uh, made everybody mm-hmm. smile instantly. Intuitive combat, deep mechanics within this game. You pursue a career as a mercenary, a trader, or a mobster. So obviously Jill would choose mobster, but there are other <laughs> options out there uh, for uh, people like traders and such. And so we do all of this playing it natively on Linux. So this is a native Linux game you can install straight from Steam. Nice. You don't need wine or anything else. So with, with all these great graphics and space combat, and this must be an expensive game to get. I mean, wh- what would it cost me, Ryan? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked, Michael. Obviously, this game has cost thousands, but today and today only, <laughs> and only if you're watching Destination, Destination Linux while Linux. you buy it. Yes, <laughs> you can get this game for two easy payments of zero dollars. Two Dang. easy payments of zero dollars. Zero dollars. That's that's a good deal. But yeah. wait, there's more. Download. And you'll get the next episode of Destination <laughs> Linux delivered to your podcast viewer completely for free. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We give this away for free. Wait, extra now, free, free and you'll get the next five weeks to delivered to your podcast reader for free as well. Yep. I just You guys just made something hit in my head that we do this for free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the game developers out there made it native to Linux. They made it free for you to go try out. So check this game out. Beautiful graphics. Looks like it could be yeah. a lot of fun. A lot of positive praise out there for it. So something to check out. In the spotlight this week, we're going to talk about something that doesn't get a lot of attention as well because it's a kind of like an underlying core thing. And so we've talked about services that are around Git and it's a version control system, but we never talked about Git itself. So Git is a, a way to keep software developed, organized between multiple collaborators, even into the thousands and stuff like that. And if you're not familiar with a what a, a version control system is, it's a class of systems that are responsible for managing changes to computer programs, documents, large websites, collection, just any kind of collection of information and stuff like that. And Git is the distributed version control system for tracking changes in source code during software development. It's designed for coordinating work among programmers, but it can be used for tracking anything. In fact, some addition, there's actually some tools that are based on Git that are really cool. I've used a few in the past that allow you to do a version control of your user settings in your, your Linux system that allows you to do like keep track of dot files and then be able to quickly and easily deploy them for new systems that you build out and that sort of stuff. Really cool features that you can use with Git. And for those who are not aware, Git was originally created by the man himself, Linus Torvalds, and was inspired by the needs of working on the Linux kernel, and that is where Git came from. 
Uh, so anyway, if you can get it started with Git, we do like various different tools, web-based GUIs. There's even powerful terminal interface that is arguably more powerful to get used to it. Uh, in fact, it's now considered by many industries to be an essential skill for programmers to get jobs in now and in the future. So there are other version control tools out there, but I think it's safe to say that Git has pretty much taken over the oh, world yeah. in terms of how to yes. go to uh, go to option for uh, version control. And if you develop software or want the ability to roll back code or have multiple versions and you haven't checked out Git before, then you're missing out on a ton of great values. I mean, even if you're doing a small project, because this is an essential mm-hmm. skill now where you'll actually see it in job requirements for programmers. And there are a lot of studies out there saying that that's even going to get more imperative that people not only know Git, but know it intimately. Because if you don't use Git correctly, you could you could cause a lot of trouble for people downstream who are loading their code in. There are obviously ways to get around that, and that's the power of Git, but you can really annoy your team by using Git improperly. So well, not uh, only that, it, it allows people to participate in, in, in parts that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to participate, right? So, for example, we use Git to manage our all of our websites, and the girl that like answers the phones and 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 kind of is the customer-facing voice of Ultaspeed, she she doesn't have a lot of technical background, but after 10 minutes of showing her how to use Git, she can push updates to, to people's websites because she can get pull, make the changes, get commit, mm-hmm. get push, you know? And and so I, I think it's a simple enough skill that translates to enough real world impact that even if you're not a developer, even if you never touch code, still a useful skill to know. I agree, uh-huh. 100%. Hey, speaking of Git, since we're talking about it, there's some additional tools that you're going to want to know to maximize your Git Toolkit. And so we're going to talk about that kind of like we did with the Linux file system. Git init is the first thing you're going to want to be aware of. Git init creates an empty Git repository and reinitializes a repository uh, the first time. And so if you make a directory and you git init, that's going to create all of the little phantom files that are required so that it knows how to track that directory as a Git repo. And there are several additional options that you can add to the init command. And we're going to get into those in future episodes. You're going to want to make sure to come back each week and listen to the tips and tricks uh, section of the show. But for now, the very first thing that you're going to want to know is git init. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll show you how to clone repos and, and add files and make sure that they... Now, wait them. a minute, Noah. Are you saying mm-hmm. that the guy who created the Linux kernel created a command to initialize git, to get started? Mm-hmm. That is just literally, you open a terminal and type git init. I don't have a 600 line with switches and slashes and parentheses <laughs> in between to initialize git. This makes no sense. So first things first. Linus invented Git really just because he needed the tool. It wasn't so much that um, he wanted to set out to invent this new thing. He just needed a tool and it didn't exist. By the way, if you want to get sarcastic about it, the options for init are tack Q for quiet, bars, object. <laughs> I, there's actually a whole list. I couldn't go through them all. So there actually is like a few hundred options if you really wanted to get into init and all the different things you could do. But you don't have to do any of those to get started. The, if you the want it to be the, complicated, you can make it complicated, Yeah, right. Ryan. And there's no way. <laughs> yes. Just to get started, though, it's very easy to wrap your head around. It's like 10 yeah. minutes or less, and you could really get your get your head around uh, submitting and cloning code on, on GitHub or GitLab is really what we recommend. Absolutely. Yeah. And everyone out there, remember that Linus Torvalds reinvented you know, the computer world in two ways. The first with Linux, the next with Git. Yeah, that's a really powerful point. And I can't wait to get through this series because it's something that I wanted to learn outside of a GUI to be stronger in. And so mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about this. And let me tell you, going from a GUI to the terminal, what we're going to focus on in these lessons that Noah's awesome. going to do in the episodes makes you so 
it's just like everything with the terminal. It's so much faster if you take the time to learn it. You're going to be able to move through your code very quickly. And obviously, I have very advanced, no, I'm just kidding, uh, very small projects that I work on, but Git is still very The Michael AI bot flow. is fantastic. The Michael AI yes, bot alone. Imagine if you make a mistake with that, then we, we lose. We got to push pull Michael AI. <laughs> yeah, we lose in Michael's entire brain, all 140 lines of code. All 140 lines of code. Yeah. <laughs> So a huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We could not have done 200 episodes without you. This is episode 201. We've never gotten here. If the audience wasn't growing vastly like it continues to do month over month, if you weren't continuing to come back and watch all these shows and listen and interact and become part of the community like you have, we wouldn't have done this. We couldn't have achieved this. So thank you all so much for that. If you want more DL, you can become a patron like all of these beautiful faces here with us today. You get more perks like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events and live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday. You can come hang out with the crew by becoming a patron of the show on either sponsors or Patreon. Yeah, and also if if you can become a member of the DLN community as well, because if you're if you're not a member of the DLN community, you are missing out on an awesome amount of experience and conversations with all all sorts of types of people from the community. So we appreciate you listening, but there is a whole other awesome part of the Destination Linux network. So if you're not a part, you definitely need to do that. In fact, we recently bridged our Matrix, Telegram, and Discord communities into one DLN chativerse. So we have this awesome this awesome chativerse that you can be a part of, whatever platform you want to do it, and we also have a great forum that you can join so you can go to destinationlinux.network slash community to join the DLN community in whatever types of platform you want to do there's so many great things so check that out destinationlinux.network slash community and oh boy do we have lots of amazing shows here on our network and so if you didn't know about some of them let me just name a few our new pseudo show your home for all things enterprise open source the incredibly informative ask noah show you can catch noah live every tuesday on this week in linux with our very own michael tonnell covers all the latest linux news and you can watch it live on saturdays on the dos geek channel make sure to watch ryan's coverage from everything from computer hardware linux and any software he is passionate about. DLN Extend, we take conversations from the DLN community and Nate, Matt, and Wendy have really great discussions. And get your computer hardware on and your camera ready with Hardware Addicts. And our newest show, GameSphere with Chris Ware. And the first episode is come incoming. <laughs> That's right. I got I got a sneak peek of it. And man, it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Just awesome. the British accent alone. You're going to love yeah. it. The content's good too. Oh, cool. so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these wonderful shows to get, get those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Jill, is that a pink Destination Linux mug? Yes. And of a course. pink Destination Linux shirt. It's very light pink. <laughs> you can get so. one that looks just like this, right? What, you Mike, can? No. Here's I a thought, really no. No, those <laughs> Stop are doing that. What? <laughs> <laughs>